How do you like saving $75? Well, you're in luck because we are in a giving mood during the best time of the year. NFL playoffs are here, and you need to take advantage of our historical success in the postseason. Warren has a lifetime record of 63% in the playoffs over 15 years, including 71% in the Super Bowl. Now is the perfect time to join because Warren's 2021 season has been won for the record books. His computer totals hit 82% this year, winning 23 of 28 bets. Overall, he was 61% this year, and he finished the college bowl season with an 8-1 record. Just use code SHARP75 when you sign up. That's SHARP75, and you'll get $75 off any package, including our weekly package. Get on board for the wildcard round or for the entire playoffs, but don't forget to save $75 today with coupon code SHARP75 at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal. Thanks for joining me to break down some wildcard weekend action. I'm not going to get to every game on the slate this weekend, but I will get to four of the six matchups with a couple of bets I like and some leans I have for each of those. So let's just start right off with the first game of the weekend, Raiders at Bengals. Bengals favored by five and a half in this one. And I like the Bengals in this game, uh, and I like it for two specific reasons, mostly having to do with the Bengals' defense, actually. We've seen their offense explode uh, down the stretch this season, at times really look like one of the elite units in the league, but it's on the really on the defensive side of the ball where I think they have the biggest edge over the Raiders. And, and I will get to some numbers. Um, these two teams did play earlier this season, week 11. So we do have some specific stuff for this matchup. But I think the stuff that we saw happen in that game, which is a pretty easy Bengals win, um, they, they really didn't do anything too unique. It was pretty much strictly what they've been doing all season. The Raiders really struggled with it. So I think that there's a lot of stuff that we can take away from that matchup. And one of the main reasons why I like the Bengals is their pass rush. Um, they haven't gotten a lot of attention for their pass rush this year, but it's been very strong. They rank seventh in the league in pressure rate at 33%, but perhaps more importantly, they don't blitz very often, and they rank fourth in the league in pressure rate without a blitz at 31%. Um, that's particularly problematic for a Raiders team that struggles to protect Derek Carr. In fact, the Raiders rank 26th in pressure rate allowed without the blitz, giving up a 34% pressure rate in those situations. Uh, so Bengals, they don't blitz very often. They do get pressure when they don't blitz. Raiders don't protect very well, even when teams don't blitz. And Derek Carr, when he's pressured without the blitz, he really struggles. Carr's EPA per dropback when pressured without a blitz it ranks 21st in the league. That's just one spot ahead of Trevor Lawrence to give you an idea of the kind of company he's keeping down in that range. Um, so I just think that the, they're going to continue to be able to get after the get after Derek Carr in this game like they did in that first matchup. It's just a, it's a bad situation for them. And one of the reasons why my second reason here it really it ties into the pass rush a little bit, but it's the Raiders or it's the I'm sorry it's the Bengals' heavy use of zone coverage coupled with their tendency to not blitz. The Bengals use a combination of zone coverage with no blitz on 60% of opponent dropbacks. That's the fourth highest rate in the league. And basically what this does, I mean, if you think about it, it's very logical. If you're not blitzing and you're playing zone coverage, you're probably trying to take away the deep passing game. And that's exactly the effect that that look has on the Raiders. Um, if you've been listening all season, we've talked about the Raiders being really aggressive at times in certain matchups 
Um, we've used team opponents blitz rates against the Raiders to our advantage to bet on the Raiders offense because Carr has been very good when teams blitz and taking advantage of those one-on-one matchups and throwing downfield. But against the Bengals, those matchups just they don't appear since they don't blitz very often and they're dropping into zone coverage at a really high rate. They're basically challenging teams to dink and dunk their way down the field. Um, and you know, there are certainly certain teams that can have success doing that. That hasn't been a strength of the Raiders this season though. Um, just to throw some more numbers behind this car overall on the season, he ranks 12th in the league in percentage of attempts at 10 or more yards downfield. So they do want to be an aggressive downfield passing offense. However, when defenses use that combo of zone with no blitz, Carr ranks 41st out of 42 qualified quarterbacks in percentage of attempts at 10 or more yards downfield. So the Bengals, they want to take away your ability to throw downfield, and they're, they do so by using that zone, no blitz combination. And when Carr sees those looks, it completely neuters the Raiders' offense. And the Bengals know this, and we know they know this because – in the first meeting between these teams, the Bengals, as I said, they use a 60% on the season. 60% of the opponent's dropbacks were zone with no blitz combination. Against the Raiders, that jumped up to 76% of the time. They were in that zone no blitz combo when Derek Carr was dropping back to pass. And that was the highest rate Carr faced all year. It was the 29th highest rate a defense used in any game all season. And it completely shut down the Raiders' passing attack, especially in the first half. The game got out of hand. Uh, in the second half. And so Card was kind of forced to take some shots downfield. He did attempt a few deeper balls in the second half. But in the first half, Carr had a season-low average depth of throw of just 3.3 yards downfield, only two first-half throws at 10 or more yards downfield. So it really seems like the Bengals knew that this strategy that they like anyway to begin with was going to be especially effective against the Raiders because Carr – really doesn't like to throw downfield. I, I, I don't know to what extent it's Carr's choice versus just the play calling when uh, when the Raiders coaching staff is anticipating it, probably some combination of both. But for, for whatever reason, when defenses try to take away the deep ball, the Raiders let them take away the deep ball, and they just check down all day long, and that's what they did. Josh Jacobs had seven targets in that matchup. Darren Waller had uh, – I don't have the number in front of me. I believe it was seven or eight targets as well in that game. They just, the Bengals forced them to just, you know, just kind of dink and dunk their way down the field. And, you know, that strategy has worked well for the Bengals this year. They've done a good job of limiting teams by just forcing them to take those uh, short, easy passes and then kind of having a bend but don't break defense a little bit. Um, So, you know, basically, what are the betting angles from this? I think, first of all, I really like the under on Derek Carr's passing yards. It's available at 259 and a half. I love the under on that. Um, if they're going to take away his, you know, his deep ball, you know, he's going to have a hard time putting up really big numbers in the passing game. Um, but then I also like the over on Josh Jacobs receiving yards. It's available at 21 and a half. And I probably like the over on his receptions. I haven't seen this line posted yet, uh, but Josh Jacobs receptions prop has been available at either two and a half or three and a half pretty much all year. Um, if it jumped to four and a half, I would probably stay away. Uh, but if it's available at three and a half, I, I, I like that. I think, you know, as I said, he had five receptions on seven targets in the first matchup between these teams. Um, 
So, you know, the Bengals are definitely going to come out with the same strategy. It worked so well in that first matchup. Um, and, you know, the, the Raiders just have not shown any ability to adjust. So if, I think if the Bengals continue to want to take away the deep ball, I don't, I don't think the Raiders are going to adjust and try to start challenging downfield just because they haven't done it all season. That would just be like a really dramatic swing away from what they've done throughout the rest of the year. So that probably adds up to quite a few opportunities for Josh Jacobs. Obviously he's been banged up. So monitor his injury situation see what kind of health, maybe, maybe the Jacobs props are ones that you would wait until uh, game day to place those bets, but love the under on Derek Carr's passing yards and the over on Josh Jacobs receiving and receptions also look pretty good based on how we think the Raiders are going to attack this Bengals defense. The next playoff game of the day was Patriots at bills bills favored by four points in this matchup. I don't have a very strong lean. There is a prop bet that I'm kind of considering that I'll get to uh, at the end of this conversation, but I do think this is an important game to talk about because the weather is going to be pretty brutal. If you've seen the weather forecast for Buffalo, it's looking like single digits for this game. Um, The wind, however, not expected to be terribly bad. Last I checked, it looked like they were expecting around 11 mile per hour winds, which that's not nothing, but typically anything below 15 miles per hour teams don't really seem to adjust their offense too much. So um, unless that wind forecast were to change, I don't think that this would be a repeat of that Patriots-Bills game from earlier in the season where the teams just lean so heavily on the run and completely abandon the passing game. I think that uh, the weather, it's really just the temperature that could theoretically play more of a factor in this game. I don't think the wind is going to force, is going to dictate uh, play calling at all in this game. Now, really cold games, there might be a tendency to think about favoring the home team a little bit more. Uh, they're in their own environment, possibly a little bit more comfortable playing in the cold weather. But obviously in this one, you also have the Patriots who are, you know, same kind of weather conditions that they're, they've played in before as well. So there isn't, it's not like you have a warm weather team going to a cold weather team situation. So, you know, that's just using common sense. That's one reason to maybe think that, you know, there isn't necessarily a built-in advantage for the Bills just because they're at home in cold weather. But I did want to look up some numbers just to see, you know, historically, you know, what, what kind of trends have we seen? Um, so I, I started out by setting the bar a little bit higher. I went back to 2000 and looked at playoff games when it was 20 degrees or colder. So uh, this, as I said, this game is expected to be in the single digits. I raised the bar a little bit just to give us a little bit broader sample size. And I was specifically curious to see how road teams do. Like, Regardless of where they come from, how does this affect road teams? And as I said, there were 16 games in that span since 2000, 16 playoff games in 20-degree weather or colder. Uh, This this, uh, information comes from True Media. Um, The road team against the spread in those 16 games is 9-6-1. That includes a 2-0 mark for the Patriots. Uh, Those games were the 2004 season at Pittsburgh. As a th- Pittsburgh was a three-point favorite, Patriots won outright against rookie Ben Roethlisberger, 41-27. And then again in 2018, in the 2018 season at Kansas City, as a three-point underdog, um, they won 37-31 in overtime. That was Mahomes' first postseason. So the Patriots have won in inclement weather uh, in these cold conditions on the road before under Bill Belichick. Um, and the road team overall, nine, six, and one against the spread. Um, the road underdogs in that span, nine and five against the spread. So uh, 
there doesn't seem to be much of an advantage there. Now, I also went and looked specifically at the games in single digits. I'm going to run through some of these. There have been seven games in the single digit temperatures. The road team in these situations is four, two, and one against the spread. So again, the number, the historically, the numbers kind of tend to favor the road teams, which may be a little bit different than what you would expect. Um, and then specifically looking at road underdogs, because that's what the Patriots are in this matchup, road underdogs and single digit temps in the playoffs dating back to 2000, they're three and one. I'll just go through that list real quickly. In 2004, Steve McNair and the Titans lost, but covered as a six and a half point underdog at New England. Then in 2007, Eli Manning and the Giants won outright as a six and a half point underdog at Green Bay. 2010 was the one thing that didn't cover. That was Mark Sanchez and the Jets lost and failed to cover as a four point underdog at Pittsburgh. And then in 2013, the big upset, Joe Flacco and the Raiders won outright as nine and a half point underdogs at Denver. So those are the four games where you had a road underdog in single digit temperatures, the road underdog three and one against the spread. I was curious to see how this hold up in the regular season too. Um, obviously, you know, just because of the time of year, you're certainly a little bit more likely to get playoff games in cold temperatures. But since 2000, there have been 16 games uh, in the regular season where there was a road underdog in single digit temperatures, they went 10, five and one against the spread. So really any way we break this down, postseason, regular season, even if we raise the temperature up to 20 degrees that we're looking at, it, the trend basically keeps saying the road teams have done better in these situations. Now, some people like to look at trends like that and like to place bets. And that might lead some of you to just want to place a bet on the Patriots. That's that's not my personal strategy, but what I, what I personally would take away from this is don't overthink the weather. Just if you like the Patriots, bet the Patriots. If you like the Bills, bet the Bills. Just like don't get hung up on the weather. We don't think the wind is going to be strong enough to play a factor in the play calling. And historically, weather has not been cold weather has not been an advantage for home teams. There's no reason to think that the Bills playing in their home environment in these inclement conditions is going to give them any kind of built-in advantage, especially knowing that the Patriots are also a team capable of going outside and practicing in this type of weather as well. Although single digit temperatures, obviously they don't come up that often. So really neither side has probably practiced in this kind of weather very often, at least recently, because it's just not an opportunity that comes up very often. But again, you just, since we've seen road teams do well historically in these situations, it doesn't lead me to think that's an advantage for the Patriots, it just leads me to think that, you know, d- just don't overthink it. Look at the matchup and whatever you, wherever you want to go with this, you know, g- just go with your gut based on the matchup and just ignore the weather side of things. Now, w- one other thing real quickly I just wanted to mention, you might be curious how this affects uh, totals. Um, there, Basically, any way you break it down is in the single-digit temperatures, it's a 50-50 split. Even if you, if you raise it up to 20 degrees – uh, 50-50 split over under. Seems like odds makers historically have done a pretty good job accounting for the weather when setting the total. So there doesn't seem to be any sort of like obvious trend or advantage there. So again, when it comes to betting, if you want to bet the total on this game, I don't personally have a lean over or under in this one. But if you do, you know, don't overthink the weather. It's probably not a factor. Think just think about the matchup. Now, there is one way that you could potentially find an advantage here in looking at the weather is that just looking at where the passing numbers are, Mac Jones is over under pass attempts 
is set to 30 and a half, which kind of seems a little bit low. And it kind of makes me wonder if questions about the weather are affecting where that line is set. I haven't gone to the point of actually placing this bet yet, but I'm kind of leaning towards wanting to bet the over. Um, as I said, the, the weather, unless the wind is really high, cold weather just doesn't attempt, doesn't really affect teams. Um, in those, I mentioned those seven playoff games with single digit temps, quarterbacks average 30.1 pass attempts in those games. That includes a game in 2004 in which Tom Brady threw the ball 41 times. Um, that might not sound surprising right now because obviously, you know, we have seen Brady play in some pretty prolific offenses, but if you remember back to 2004, that was not the, the Patriots were not a heavy passing offense at that point in time. Um, so the fact that Belichick was able to, was confident enough in Tom Brady at that point in time when he was not uh, putting up prolific passing numbers at that point in his career to throw 41 times in the cold weather. You know, that, I think that's just further evidence that, you know, Belichick isn't going to hold Mac Jones back in any way, just because it's cold outside. Um, you know, if, if the under hits for Mac Jones, it's going to be because, you know, that's the way the game played out. That's the way the game script dictated it. Um, but if I were looking at this game and just, you know, ignoring the weather, if they were playing in a dome somewhere, I would probably want to bet the over on 30 and a half pass attempts. So if I'm kind of leaning that direction. I might monitor the weather and kind of wait until closer to game time because who knows, you know, the wind projections can be tough to figure out. That's something where maybe we wait until game day just to see. Maybe the wind does pick up and it become, it reaches a point where we start to wonder if uh, that's going to affect play calling. But as of right now, I'm leaning the over. I don't think that um, – I don't think the weather is going to have any impact on the Patriots play calling. So the over and Mac Jones, 30 and a half pass attempts looks like a potential bet we could place. The next game I want to get into is 49ers at Cowboys Cowboys favored by three in this game. The total is set to 50 and a half. I don't really have a strong lean as far as a side, but I am leaning towards the under, although some of the uh, props that I like are also kind of going down that same path. So I'm, I might just go with the props that I like and avoid taking the under just to not go too heavy on that, betting that you know storyline, so to speak. Um, but I, I definitely lean under on that 50 and a half number. And it really has a lot to do with the 49ers offense and how I think they're going to be able to control this game a little bit. And at least at least to the point of slowing the game down. And so that, that means the one bet that I actually like the most is the under on Dak Prescott's passing yards. This line hasn't been posted, but based on where it's been this season, I kind of it's probably going to be around 280, I would guess. That's on the lower end of where it's been this year. And because the 49ers are a little bit of a slower-paced team, I do think that uh, that line will probably be posted towards the lower end of what, he, what we've seen from him this year. Um, and it's again, it's not necessarily about the 49ers defense. It's about the 49ers offense and their ability to slow the game down and just limit possessions. Um, the under on quarterback passing yards against the 49ers this year is 13 and four. Uh, so they seem to do a really good job of slowing the game down. I don't, you know, we wouldn't, you know, we're not talking about the 49ers pass defense being like a dominant unit by any means. They've had some struggles at times this year, actually. Um, so the fact that the under continues to win, I think it really just says a lot about what the 49ers do on offense and how they're able to force teams to play their style of game. And I think that that can happen based on this matchup with the Cowboys. They like to play slow and they like to run the ball. And you know, just to put some, some numbers behind that, they play, they run the ball at the league's fourth highest rate. They play at the league's fourth slowest rate. 
And I think they're going to be able to continue to play their style of football against Dallas um, based on how Dallas has fared against their types of run formations. Obviously, we know the 49ers use the fullback more than any team in the league. They use a fullback on 54% of their carries. And what that does is it allows the defense to stack the box against you. If you're if you're putting a fullback in the backfield, you're going to run into boxes with seven or more defenders at a much higher rate than other teams. Against certain defenses, that can be a problem because there obviously are certain defenses around the league that will dominate you if you allow them to stack the box, but that's not Dallas. Dallas struggles to defend the run, especially with a stacked box for some reason. Uh, they're allowing 4.3 yards per attempt with seven or more defenders in the box. That ranks 22nd. Um, and you might be wondering, obviously, we've seen Dallas's defense improve throughout the season. They obviously got a, a boost in week 13 when Demarcus Lawrence came back. So when I saw that they ranked very low in that category, defending with a uh, stacked box, I was curious if this was uh, skewed by some early season struggles. So I looked at what happens when Demarcus Lawrence is on the field. It turns out Lawrence has really had no impact um, on the run game. Now he has helped their pass rush. Certainly combination of him and Micah Parsons is certainly important, but he's had no impact on the run game. In fact, when Lawrence is on the field, Dallas allows 5.2 yards per attempt. When he's off the field, he allows four, they allow 4.5 yards per attempt. That's those are overall numbers. The trend holds up when looking specifically at seven and plus defenders in the box. It's they've been slightly worse with Lawrence on the field. I, I don't, know to what extent we can blame just Lawrence for that. It could be just like the overall combination, how it shifts other players around on defense. I, I don't, I haven't broken down their games enough to know exactly why that's happening, but it, it is important to note because, um, you know, we, we definitely have seen their defense improve in some areas um, as the season has gone on. And as I've gotten used to Dan Quinn's defense there and Lawrence's return definitely helped overall, he's been a net positive, but against a team like the 49ers that want to run the ball, play slow, control the clock. It seems like against Dallas, they're going to be able to do that and really slow the game down. So I think the under and Dak Prescott's passing yards, as I said, expecting it to be around 280 yards, somewhere in that range. I think that's the bet to place. I also lean towards the under on Ezekiel Elliott's rushing yard. That's another one that I've considered. Again, it's, it's pretty much the same reason. If if the 49ers are able to slow the game down, it's going to diminish the offensive numbers for everybody on Dallas. Um, and so Ezekiel Elliott's rushing yards under is also attractive. I think you could also make the argument for the, betting the under on receiving yards for Cooper or Lamb. I'm probably going to stay away from that just because if San Francisco controls the ball, if it's a close game, you know maybe they limit Ezekiel Elliott's yards and Dak Prescott's yards. But if it's a late close game, game on the line, Dallas has the ball. Dak is probably going to be trying to feed the ball to his playmakers on the outside. So you, you could definitely run into a situation where, yeah, everything we expected to happen is happening. San Francisco is playing slow, limiting Dallas just by keeping them off the field. But then late in the game, you know, a few big plays from Dallas's offense could uh, push Cooper or Lamb over. So I'm going to probably stay away from those, but I'm definitely on the under for Dak Prescott if it's available around 280 yards and, I'm probably going to take the under on Ezekiel Elliott's rushing yards in this game as well. Now for the last game that I'm going to discuss, and it's one of, it's easily the worst game of the weekend and one of the worst playoff matchups we've ever seen Steelers at chiefs, the corpse of Ben Roethlisberger trying to take the field one last time. Um, 
the Chiefs are favored by 12 and a half in this game. I that's a big number to take in a playoff game, but I'm definitely leaning towards the Chiefs. I just there's no reason to think Pittsburgh can stay within two scores of Kansas City based on what we've seen from the Steelers defense and what we've seen from Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, this the offense, Roethlisberger just has nothing left in the tank, and the defense has struggled as well. Uh, just to break down the Steelers season a little bit, it's kind of a miracle that they're in the postseason. I think given Roethlisberger's performance, a huge, huge credit goes to the coaching staff for squeezing every last ounce of talent they have out of the corpse of Roethlisberger and, you know, willing, but really the coaching staff just working miracles to get this team to the postseason, given all their weaknesses on both sides of the ball. Uh, but it took a little bit of luck to get here too. If you just break down this, is, I mean, this is a really simplistic way to break down a team season, but it do, I think it does tell a story here with the Steelers. Just look at the quarterbacks they've beaten this season. They beat Josh Allen week one. That was a great win to start the Steelers season. And there wasn't much in the way of great wins the rest of the way. They, their next wins, they rattled off four in a row. At one point, and that's that's four win stretch is really the reason why they're here in the playoffs. But those wins came against Teddy Bridgewater, Geno Smith in overtime, Baker Mayfield, and Justin Fields. Baker Mayfield, pretty pretty easily the best quarterback of that group, and he had a terrible season. So that sums up uh, the luck that they had. Obviously, getting Geno Smith in that game against Seattle was really lucky. You got Justin Fields very early in the season when he was really struggling at that point in time. Um, just they, they they got a pretty lucky four game stretch there where they rattled off four wins. And that's why they're in the postseason is that stretch right there. Now they did have a good win against Lamar Jackson, and the Ravens in week 13, definitely deserve credit for pulling off that. That was a good upset. Uh, but then they beat Ryan Tannehill and the Titans. Tannehill had a pretty decent year, but in that game, no Julio Jones or AJ Brown. So put a big asterisk on that game. Then they got a win against Baker Mayfield late in the season. Obviously, Mayfield and the Browns were really banged up at that point. That was he just he was not even close to, uh, you know, even the Mayfield that we saw very early in the season. Certainly not even close, not anywhere close to what he looked like at times last year. Uh, Mayfield by the end of the season was a very solidly below average quarterback. And then in the final game of the year, they beat Tyler Huntley, and it took overtime to make it happen. So they have they just any competent quarterback for the most part they have not been able to beat. They, they beat Josh Allen in week one. They pulled off a nice upset against Lamar Jackson in week 13. All the other decent quarterbacks that they've faced have come away with victories against the Steelers, and that includes Patrick Mahomes. He seems obviously played a few weeks ago, and it was a very easy win for the Chiefs. I don't see any reason why this should change. And you know, obviously the one thing that could have broken in the Steelers' favor again was the health of some of the Chiefs players, but on Wednesday – both Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill were listed as full participants in practice. So I think those two guys being limited going into the game was the one last bit of hope that the Steelers had in this matchup. Sounds like they're going to be fully healthy, logging multiple full practices with the team before game day. So the Chiefs should be in good shape for an easy win. So I'm definitely leaning toward, I'm considering taking the Chiefs uh, despite the big 12 and a half number there. Now there is a rough, the, uh, prop bet that I like in this game a lot more than I like the Chiefs line. And that's the over on Daryl Williams rushing yards or maybe Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Both of these guys are banged up. Obviously, Clyde Edwards Hilaire hasn't played the past couple weeks. Um, and then last week, Daryl Williams 
uh, suffered a minor injury and he's been banged up a little bit. I believe it was a toe injury, they said. But based on Andy Reid's comments, it sounds like Williams is the better bet to be able to go. It sounds like he's definitely closer to 100%. Although it's possible we do see both of them on the field. It sounds like that's a legitimate possibility. I think in either situation, whether it's just Daryl Williams or whether it's both of them, I like the Daryl Williams over on the rushing yards, unless for some reason game day rolls around and the Chiefs are just like really high on Clyde Edwards Lair. If we hear that he's like, you know, a hundred percent health, you know, then maybe I back off the Daryl Williams side. Maybe I go with Clyde Edwards Lair in that situation. But that sounds pretty unlikely because it sounds like his status is definitely up in the air. So the odds of them feeling like he's a hundred percent by game time seems very doubtful. So Basically, my logic there is that even if Clyde Edwards-Alaire suits up, if they get into a situation where this game's a blowout, they're going to pull him off the field because he's the guy that they want to continue to get healthier, deeper into the playoffs. So if they can, they probably don't want to use Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So even if he's active on game day, I'm leaning towards taking the over on Gerald Williams because I think he's going to, if the game goes as expected and is an easy win for the Chiefs, I would expect Williams to see a little bit more action in this game. But the reason why I like both of these guys, the chiefs defense, the way that they run the ball against, you know, factored into how the uh, Steelers really struggle running. It seems like a really big mismatch here. The chiefs, obviously on offense, they like to spread teams out, which means when they run the ball, they're often running into light boxes with six or fewer men in the box, basically the reverse of what we were just talking about with the 49ers run game. 43% of the Chiefs' rush attempts this season have occurred with six or fewer men in the box. That's the fourth highest rate. Steelers' defense, when they put six or fewer men in the box, they rank dead last, allowing 6.5 yards per attempt. That's embarrassing. So we think Clyde Edwards-Elair or Daryl Williams, whoever's in the backfield, is going to get some very favorable uh, boxes to run into. The Steelers are probably going to allow to break, allow them each to break off some longer runs. Uh, so I, I just think this is a really great opportunity. I think the preferable situation here from a betting standpoint is probably if both of them are healthy and we bet the over on Darrell Williams rushing yards. When Edwards Alaire has been healthy, Williams rushing yards prop has been available in the 20s on average around 25 yards without Edwards Alaire. That, that prop has been available at an average of 55 and a half yards. Regardless of what the situation is, whether it's just Williams or whether it's both of them, as I said, unless for some reason we shockingly hear that Edwards Lair is 100% healthy and he's going to be the workhorse, unless we get here that unlikely scenario, I'm on the over for Daryl Williams. And I I'm feel more strongly about it if we uh, get a less than 100% Edwards Lair because I think that's going to lower the prop. As I said, it's been available around 25 yards for Williams when both running backs are healthy. So against the Steelers defense that gives up chunk yardage, you know, it shouldn't take very many carries. Williams could easily go over that just in the first half or something. You know, if he gets six or seven carries in the first half, sharing time with Edwards Lair. And even if he doesn't go over real early in the game, like I said, you know, they're favored by 12 and a half. This is probably a blowout late in the game. The game's in hand. They're going to pull Edwards Alaire off the field. That common sense tells us that that's likely to happen. So I would expect uh, some extra rushing attempts from Daryl Williams. And so I'm on the over with Daryl Williams rushing yards in this matchup. That's all for today's show. Thanks for joining me. Hope you have a fun and profitable wildcard weekend. 